Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Good, good to be together, isn't it? Good to be together in the house of the Lord. We had a fantastic morning this morning. We had Frank Damasio here this morning. If you weren't here, grab the podcast or the live stream. Frank's a sort of a bit of a hero of mine. I've followed his teaching for probably 26, 27 years. And um, so it was just, it was quite a moment. Um, he's had cancer in the hip and is pretty um, feeble on his feet. So it was just one of those moments helping him down the, up the steps this morning. I had a little moment um, that I thought, wow, after following this guy and his teaching for over a quarter of a century, here I am helping him up the, the steps of our church. I never thought that would ever happen, so it was pretty cool for me. It's been a really, a really, really good day. We're continuing with the practice theme, and um, the whole idea of the practice was to get you to practice some things. That was a but I think you've probably picked that up by now. It sort of gives it away, doesn't it? And the guys have done a phenomenal job about this because God is calling us into some pretty cool stuff. And that's why we took this as our key verse. And the little line there, grace and peace be yours in abundance, it says, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, his divine power has given us everything we need. Isn't that amazing? For a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his glory and his goodness. Notice the wording. He has called us by his glory and by his goodness. And it's through those two things. It's through his glory and his goodness that he's given us these precious promises so that we may actually get to participate in his divine nature. Isn't that amazing? So, so it's through these things. It's through God's glory and His goodness. It's not because you deserved it. It's not because you're good-looking. It's not because you're smart. It's not because you're good. It's, 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 it's just because of His goodness and His glory that He actually calls us in to co-partner with Him. We get this in the Lord's Prayer, don't we? He says, when you, Jesus, when he's teaching his disciples to pray, he says, pray this way, our Father. Jesus could have said, you could pray, my Father. Talk to him as my Father. Jesus um, insinuating that he was his Father. But Jesus says, no, when you talk to him, talk to him this way. Call partner and call him our Father. So something really powerful about that. With the ongoing work in our building, um, where uh, Lynx is about to open. We're just waiting on the fire certificate and um, all of that. And Laura's pretty excited about uh, if you go up there, it's all sitting intact and the furniture's all there and it's ready just to move into as soon as we get the sort of um, green light with the fire certificate and we know that it's covered by insurance, we're in. And, um, and because of that, then, there's loads of office space downstairs. Well, not loads, but there's some of the office space is becoming vacant because over the past number of months, we've sort of been, it's been a, like, it's been a bit like office share. You've heard of job share or car share. Well, it's been, been a bit like office share. And there's been people, especially the youth and the kids staff, they've sort of been everywhere, and we appreciate their, their patience 
with this. But we had an interesting conversation just this Monday past in the office because um, we had a pretty vocal conversation around our um, lead staff, around our core leaders, we call them, the heads of departments. And, and so um, the, the talk was now that um, office space is becoming available, who's going where? Who's going into what office and who's going to share what office? And it came out in the meeting that some people really have loved sharing an office because now offices have been limited a little bit. Some people have been in where there was only one in office. Now there's been two. And some people are saying, well, I really loved having so-and-so in my office. I'm not mentioning any names. And then some are all saying, no, no, I hate the idea of anybody in my office. And, and, and I want my own office. And... and, and, and and it was interesting. I was sitting, listening to this conversation, involved in it, but listening, taking it in and thought. But the whole thing revealed was that everybody liked to be together. Whether you liked your own office or whether you liked to share an office, everybody loved the fact that we were sort of relocated in one space. That sort of came up as the idea. And it felt a little bit like we're, our building is so scattered. It felt a bit like we staff meeting on Monday morning. And then sort of we break into two halves and half go out this way and half go this way and there the twain will ever meet. And, um, and so the idea come up, Warwick sitting there saying, what is Phil digging me into here? Um, but um, that, that was the story anyway. And uh, <laughs> we'll do that. We'll do that later. All right. I'm getting there. Um, that it took me to a story in 1995. Toy Story, actually, Toy Story 1 came out in 1995. Hard to believe, isn't it? It's 23 years ago, but Toy Story 1 came out. Pixar was the creator of Toy Story. It has actually um, developed 20 or created 20 movies since and all become huge international successes from its beginnings of a production company. And Pixar has focused on the crucial value of teamwork and collaboration. They love this idea of working together. And I read the, um, uh, uh, the biography of Steve Jobs. If ever you get the opportunity to read I think it took me about a year and a half to read it. I, didn't, I read it sort of as a bit of a by-hobby. It was, didn't read it all. It's, it's really, really, it is a big book. But it's very, very powerful. And he was an interesting guy. He died a few years ago, as you know. But um, he was an interesting character. And, um, and uh, what, what I read about him was that when, he, when, he, when, they, when they actually developed Pixar, they'd planned three separate buildings with separate office spaces for their animators, for their computer programmers, and for their management. But Steve Jobs insisted that everybody move in together, and he bought the old Del Monte canning factory and he, in the old Del Monte factory, there was a, a, an atrium right in the middle. So there was a big place in the middle. And what he did was it had sort of one huge room in the middle. And Jobs, he, he wanted to create a space where people throughout the company would bump into each other, you see. And they would deepen relationships and they would share ideas. And Jobs took it a little step further, actually. He moved everything. He moved their mailboxes, he moved their meeting rooms, he moved the coffee bar, he moved, even moved the loos, all right, and, and into the center of this atrium where people were forced to interact. And initially, some of the employees complained about this. Um, they didn't like it at all. They thought it was a bit of a waste of time that they had to walk away to this atrium to get a coffee or to go to the loo or whatever. But Jobs kept telling Pixar employees, everybody has to run into each other. That's what he said. Everybody has to run into each other. And the Pixar company called it smooching. 
Now, if you look up smooching in the English dictionary, obviously the Americans see it as something different because smooching is to kiss and to cuddle in the English dictionary. I'm not sure what it means in the American dictionary, but he, they called it smooching, all right? And uh, he said if he didn't see loads of people smooching, he would get worried. Now, Brad Bird, who was one of his directors, who um, he was the guy who came up with the... He, he, he was the guy who did The Incredibles and Ratatouille and, uh, Ratatouille and, and, and some other ones, and he was a very smart guy. And Bird said, he, I'm quoting him, he said, The atrium initially might seem like a waste of space, but Steve Jobs realized what happened when people run into each other, when they make eye contact. He said, things begin to happen. So he made it impossible, he said, for people not to run into each other. And is it any wonder that Pixar's motto is this, alienus non ditos, or alone, alone no longer. That's their, their motto. Interesting, isn't it? And so um, I, I think he, 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 Steve Jobs uh, uh, was, a, was a bit of a weird character, but um, he... he, he he maybe didn't know this verse, and if he were alive, I'd love to tell him it. But this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that God places the lonely. Anybody know the rest? In families. Isn't that amazing? It's Psalm 68. Psalm 68. A very powerful verse. God places the lonely in families. God is interested in the family. And so tonight we're going to talk about the practice of relationships and family and stuff like that. I have a little, uh, have a little clip I'd love you to watch, all right? So here's a little clip. Um, take a few seconds or a few minutes and watch this. More. Keep going. No, keep going. It's smarter, it's smarter to go about in groups, much smarter to go about in groups. Do you know that less than 2% of church splits happen over doctrine and theology? 98% plus actually fall out over personalities and opinions. And what do you believe about end times? Why you're a pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, amillennial, pre-millennial, um, election. What do you believe about election? What do you believe about head covering? 
Well, there's a biggie. Women in leadership. What about drinking alcohol? Should a believer drink alcohol? What about flag-waving in church? Oh, dear. Um, what about vegetarian or vegan? And dare I even mention the word in Ireland, never mind Lurgan, and politics, the P word, politics, are we country, let alone our town? These are just a few hot potatoes. And most Christians fall out over what the Bible doesn't say very much about. <laughs> Actually, the, most people fall out over the gray areas. It's not the big black and white things, it's the gray things. And so what happens is people form opinions. And when someone forms an opinion, usually find, and you'll know somebody, if you're sitting beside them, you can hit them a little nudge, they're opinionated. And so what happens is they get an opinion and they believe their opinion's right. And the thing about their opinion is they want you to have their opinion. They want you to believe their opinion. And we're all a little bit like that, aren't we? And we form our opinions. Interesting, when you read the New Testament, you'll find that Jesus healed blind people four times. And every single time he healed them differently. And maybe Jesus just knew that if he healed them all the same, we would build a doctrine and a theology around it, probably plant a church on it, have the, the, the sight-receiving church or whatever it might be. So opinions are a bit like noses, someone once said. Everybody has one, and there's usually a couple of holes in them. All right? So churches split and fall out over these things. And can I say from the outset that this ought not to be. Problems always arise when I try to get you to believe my opinion. That's why one of the things that we've said for the last 20 plus years at this platform is let's not preach our opinions. Let's not preach our opinion. Let's preach the Word. And if we can't back it up with the Word, keep your opinion to yourself. Now, um, there's something about this. There's something about this. One thing that we can't fall out with is this here. We can't fall out over family. We just can't fall out over it because the Scripture's full of it. Actually, in the very first pages of the Bible, Genesis 2, um, God has just created the woman. He, he has presented her to the man. It's Genesis 2. It's a beautiful scene. He has realized that Adam's very lonely. The Bible says, not good for man to be alone. And Adam's naming all the animals, giving all the animals their name. He's getting sadder and sadder by the moment because he realized that there's nothing compatible to him. God sees his loneliness and decides to form this beautiful creature who he called woman because she was created out of the man. And then when he wakens Adam up and he sort of shakes him and says, well, Adam, waking up to show you what you've made you. And Adam sort of looks at her and he goes, wow, this is amazing, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And then God says this to him, which Paul picks up in Ephesians 5. And he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. Imagine a man leaving his family unit. The family that grew, he grew up in, the family that, that reared him, the family that blessed him, the family that spent all the money on his education, the family that looked after him from when he was just a little baby, that God would say we should leave that and cleave on to his own wife and they would become one flesh. It actually become a new family unit. It's incredible, isn't it? And that's what the Bible is all about. And no, no doubt over the century, it's not my um, uh, topic tonight, but it's got blurred over the years. Family has got blurred. When I was young, it was the fawns. Anybody remember the fawns? And the fawns was just a family. It was a family, and it was a weird family, but we're all kind of weird families. And then 10, 15 years ago, it was friends. It sort of dropped us from the standard of a family together. You're just friends all cohabiting and living together. I don't really know what it is now, but we know that it's, 
it sort of went pear-shaped a little bit, hasn't it? And family lines get blurred a little bit. But I've put together 10 points tonight, and we're going to do it really quickly. All right, 10 points, which are a collection of many things. First and foremost, they're a collection of being a, a, a husband for um, 40 years. And um, they're a, a collection of, of being a dad now for almost 40 years. Um, next year, I'll be 40 years a dad. Um, they've been put together from over 20 years now of being a, a, a lead pastor in a church and planting a church and pioneering a church. They've been put together from over almost half a century of some kind of ministry or other from I was a boy. And so these are 10 very simple, basic principles that I think you can apply to your home, to your business, to your life, all right? So we're going to run through them really quickly. The first one is this one called, I call it a rational or intentional love, or rational. And this first characteristic is the characteristic characteristic of a healthy church or a healthy family. I call it love for just showing up. <laughs> you just get love because you're here. Now listen, I, let, me, let me put a disclaimer in place. We're not perfect. And there's no family perfect. There's no human family perfect, and there's no perfect church, and we ain't the perfect church. And we've let people down, and we've probably let you down, and for that we're desperately sorry. But we can point you to one who never, ever, ever lets anyone down. We can point you to one, and that's what we continue to do, who is, will never leave you, will never forsake you. And, and this kind of love, this kind of irrational love is beautiful. I love this verse in Deuteronomy 7 where um, God says he didn't love you you because he didn't love Israel because they were the biggest and the best, because actually he says you were the fewest and the smallest, but he said, I just loved you because I loved you. <laughs> Not amazing that God would say, I just loved you because. You say, God, why do you love us? Well, God said, well, actually, there's no real reason. I just love you because I love you. If you were, if I was to um, boil down into each of your relationships, if you're married in here or dating or something, and ask you what you've fall, fallen in love with, you could tell me loads of things, and then you might just say, you know what, I really just love them because. It's just because. And there's something, this, this love is spread lavishly to each and every member of the family, regardless of their sex or their gender or their attractiveness or their performance capabilities. You know, we're full of love because we're made in the image of God. For God so loved the world. If, if you've ever, if you've ever, if you're a mom or dad here and you've actually more than one child, you know this. When child number two was coming along, you weren't scratching your head thinking, now what am I going to do? How am I going to divide my love? If it means number two is coming, I'll have to love them less. We never done that because you'd loads of love to go round. And God made us and he filled us with love. And so this irrational love, when your parents saw, um, most of you I'm sure, I'm sure there are maybe some exceptions, saw your little red wrinkled body in the hospital and thought, I am going to pour more love into this little being than their heart can take in. This is love that will flow from generation to generation. I watched a father and son 
without saying any names, wrestle each other over our settees, which was very nice of them, um, a couple of Sundays ago. But it was actually quite playful. It was, it was, it was fun, by the way. All right. Um, and and I, I watched them wrestle a little bit, and, and I thought, well, that's pretty cool. They've done that a few times. Daniel can take me out over those CTs, the best ever you've seen. I have a big son, 31, lives in London, and every time we meet, he, uh, he wrestles me. And that might be in an airport. It might be in a train station. I met him in Liverpool Street train station not too long ago, and he wrestled me to the ground. And the, as soon as he seen me, he ran, and he wrestled me to the ground. And it, it, I was thinking the guards were going to get called. And those of you who know Philly know that's just the way he is. So there's something about irrational love. Second one, really quickly. We want to go through them quickly. Strong communication. The second trait of a healthy church, the, uh, a, a healthy family, is strong communication. What sets the tone for this in a family is the relationship between mom and dad. What sets the tone for this in a church is the relationship between an elder board or, or staff. This is really important in a church relationship between leaders and staffs where they can talk openly, where they can talk vulnerably with each other, where they can listen to one another and they can work through a conflict without sulking, without, without huffing, without getting up and slamming a door or screaming and yelling. They can dissolve a dispute with actually drawing blood from one another. Um, and if they can do that, there's a high likelihood that the people who are coming behind will be able to do the same. And uh, issues can be, be sorted and, and solutions can be worked out when communication is strong. And the Bible says a lot about this. I love these verses. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Not lovely? Speak to people with grace. Even when you're having a dispute, make sure your voice has grace in it, all right? Seasoned with salt so that you may know how, how you ought to answer each person. Here's a good one. If, if one gives an answer before he hears it, it is folly and is shame. You ever know someone and you're having a conversation, you know they're not listening, they're reloading? Anybody know anybody? Somebody's getting a dig in the ribs now, I bet you. They're reloading, and you know they're not listening, and you're thinking it's frustrating. I find it really, really frustrating, and so it's important to, to have strong communication. Here's number three, acceptance of our uniqueness. We're all very unique, and I love this passage of Scripture in James. Um, James tells us not to show um, partiality, this big word, and, and here in the NIV it calls it favoritism partiality. And basically what um, James was writing to the church about, he says, how dare you when somebody comes in and they're well-dressed and they've got gold ring and all, and you say, sit up here in the front row beside Grant, and, uh, and somebody comes in and they're not wearing very nice clothes and maybe they're a little bit smelly, and we say, no, no, don't, don't you come up into the inner circle. You sit out there. It's disgusting. And James hits it and he says, it's not right. Have you ever noticed how diverse the church is? Anybody notice that or is it just me? Look, look to your right and left right now and look at how diverse this room is. You could look at the person beside you now and say, you don't look anything like me. I am far better looking than you. Oh. There is nothing more diverse than a man and a woman. Diversity, listen to me, diversity does not mean division. I meet with church leaders all the time. I chair the ministers fraternal here in this town. I meet with the local priests. We're very diverse, 
very diverse in our belief system. We've discussed what we believe and what we're not willing to step into believe with each other, but we've been very vocal and very open about that that has formed a great relationship because we understand each other's diversity. But two or three times now, we've went and spent an overnight somewhere where we've actually got together and talked about these. I don't know whether you'll remember this book by John Graham Men are from Mars and women are from Venus, but it's a pretty interesting book. And he unpacks some of the things about us. He said, in it he quotes, he says, not to be needed is a slow death for a man. We're a little bit shallow, us men, you see, and we need to be needed. We need, we need respect and we need significance. They're really important tanks to us. Whereas he says about the woman, because she is afraid of not being supported, she unknowingly pushes away the support she needs. And so the woman needs loved and she needs attention and she needs nurtured and supported. And so we're very, very different. And I don't know if it's God's love of variety or else it was just his weird sense of humor. But have you ever noticed how he places polar opposites sometimes in the one family? Ever notice that? Opposite personalities and, and temperaments sometimes in the, in the same family. Some of our elders are really different than me. Some of them are, are great and they're like me. Um, <laughs> some in the room are, are extroverted, some are introverted, some are verbal, some are not so verbal. But the Bible says in Psalm 139 that every single person is fearfully and wonderfully made. It was Jill's favorite verse. I have it on her, on her headstone. Fearfully and wonderfully made. There are no accidents in a family. There are no accidents in a family because God treasures each member. And I'm talking to you now as individuals. I'm talking to each of you, young and old in this room. God treasures your uniqueness. God's, your uniqueness is not a bother to him. Your weird little things that weird people out a little bit are not a bother to him. As a matter of fact, he celebrates your weirdness. In healthy families, there are no black sheep. In healthy families, there's no partiality. In healthy families, there's no favoritism. There's no purring off. There's no carbon copies. I wish you were like them or I wish you were like them. There is room for everybody in the family of God. Room for everybody. And Romans 14, actually, Paul devotes a whole chapter to this. In chapter 14 of Romans, he devises a whole chapter to how to deal with conflict. It's very interesting when you don't agree with somebody. And what was happening, to the, what was happening all of these new converts were coming into the church, you see, and the Jewish converts were coming in, and they wouldn't eat meat because they, they've just looked, they said all meat was sacrificed to idols. So they, it wasn't that they were vegetarians. It was just that they wouldn't eat the meat because they thought it was offered to idols. The the, 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 the believers, the new Gentile believers, they, were, they knew they were under a new covenant. They knew they'd got redeemed from the law. They knew that, that they didn't have to keep to those old things. So they were eating meat all around the place. They were in McDonald's every day eating Big Macs. And, and, and Paul's saying, listen, listen, hold on. The person who doesn't eat meat, if he's feeling the conviction that he shouldn't eat meat, he's right not to eat it. And if you're okay to eat meat, and, and that you're okay too, but just... Just respect each other. 
This is what Paul's saying in Romans 14. And Romans 14 is a very powerful chapter. You should study it sometimes. I spoke on it up in uh, Fermanagh Christian Fellowship a few weeks ago. And uh, in the first 12 verses, he talks about the freedom to allow other different opinions. But when I delved into the chapter further, I found something that I never saw before. I found that when you come to the last 10 verses, 13 to 23, Paul says... What about if you were to limit your own freedom for the sake of others? Wow, now there's an interesting thing the church never talks about. What about if you, what about if you weren't to take that glass of wine because somebody sitting with you would have an issue with that? Instead of saying, well, I have no problem with it, and I just do whatever I want to do. That's me. And they'd have to take me the way they find me. I... I you're looking very scared at me. I believe this is the least applied passage of Scripture in all the Bible. And John 17 is the real Lord's Prayer. You see, the Lord's Prayer, we talk about the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. It wasn't really the Lord's Prayer. When the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, he says, when you pray, pray this way. He was giving them a formula of how to pray. All right, the real Lord's Prayer, well, it is the Lord's Prayer, just don't throw me out. But the real Lord's Prayer is John 17. John 17. And this is what Jesus says, Father, I pray that they that you give me become one, even as you and I are one. Now, if you've prayed a prayer, ever prayed a prayer and it's never been answered, then join ranks with Jesus. Because he prayed that 2,000 years ago and it's still not answered. It will be, but it's still not answered. There's still so much fragmentation in the body of Christ. I have a friend who, who says to me sometimes, he says, Phil, you know, I think in the fall that God allows us to be in deficit, so you need me. Grant, you need me, and I need you. We need each other. This is, this is the solemn fact. We need each other. And what happens when, when people draw back and start to isolate? That's the tool of the enemy, and he isolates us into this place where... Um, we become, nobody loves me and nobody cares for me, and it's a very dangerous place, all right? Fourth one, vow, don't worry, the other ones are going to be quicker, all right? Um, a vow against abuse. Um, 2nd of September, 1979, when Lisa was born, I was just a boy. <laughs> I was, uh, I, I, I was just 21 years of age, and, uh, and when she was born, 10 past five on a Sunday night, I went home and I threw myself onto the floor on my knees and I said, God, I have no idea how to be a dad. But God, could you please help me never to be an abusive parent? Could you help me, God, make a vow that I will never emotionally blackmail my kids? Will you make sure that I, I never physically abuse her because I'm just a frail human being? And God, God forbid that any sexual impurity would ever come in to me in that realm. And God, my greatest desire is that she'd grow to love you like I love you, but will you make sure that I never blackmail her to think what I think. Because remember, manipulation of any kind is abuse. Manipulation of any, and, and healthy families vow there are never, ever, ever, ever going to abuse. 
They're never going to shame. They're never going to control. And they're never going to intimidate each other. That's what healthy families do. And I know we haven't got everything right in Emmanuel, but one of the things I did 22 years ago was I made a vow that I would never manipulate. I would never manipulate the finances. I would never manipulate the people. And I'm not perfect in any shape or form. Healthy families realize that there are certain violations that do so much damage to a family member that they must be absolutely, categorically, undeniably, uncompromisingly outlawed in any family. And in my opinion, for what it's worth, the most wounded people in our society today are not the people who get mugged at the end of the street. They're not the people whose spouse left them. They're not the people whose loved one has passed away and died. Brutal as that may be, but the hurtful and most disturbing of all this, and family experts tell us this, that the soul damage done to children who are looking for love from their parents is the most brutal of all abuse. That little emotional, fragile boy looking for support from his mom and dad and gets disdain, disgust, and scorn. That little girl desiring the tender, affirming word gets a slap across the face or screamed at or maybe worse, a fist to the jaw. Need I even mention it? When a child is just about to begin to discover the mysteries of their own sexuality, and that tender mix of fear and wonder and excitement finds a parent at the foot of a bed in the middle of the night with an agenda that makes all of heaven shriek in horror. This must never, ever, ever happen. When it comes to the soul-shattering contest, abusive leaders and abusive parents take home all the prizes. They take home all the prizes. And I mightn't be the best leader in the world, but I made a vow that I would never abuse. Healthy families never want to shame. They recoil at this stuff. And, and the Bible, Ezekiel 34, dedicated a whole chapter to pastors and leaders who, who desecrated their flocks. And one day I will stand before God, as will all our leaders and elders, and they'll give an account of how they dealt with this one. Number five, common faith. This is interesting, isn't it, that the next trait is common faith. There I said in a meeting like this that common faith, actually statistics show that something happens when healthy families share a common faith. I'm going to let you into a little secret, all right? A little secret. Don't tell anybody I told you, but um, here it goes. There's something greater than us that connects us all. All of us are here tonight because something drew us here. It wasn't because you wanted to come hear me. It was because something happens when a family, when a church family comes together again. And here's what the Bible says about it. It says, carry this in your hearts. Love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. You'll all know it, I'm sure. And he says, carry it in your heart and impress it into your children's hearts. Impress it into the church you lead. Impress the idea that they should love God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind. It's the greatest thing to do. There's something happens when we get onto the same spiritual page. Here we go. We're going to run through the other ones really quickly. Respect for one another. Um, I uh, 
you know that disrespect is not an infection you catch in the street? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's a learned behavior. It's a learned behavior. And, and, and the learning happens mostly in families. <laughs> Sorry to put it to you, but it's the truth. It's a learned behavior. I spent a bit of time this week with some school teachers talking about behavior, sort of designed me a little bit to this talk. And uh, it's my prayer that, that, that we, we reinforce this because I know loads of things happen in society, but usually the lean for disrespect starts in the home. And we've got to respect everybody because every single person that you cross paths with is just one prayer away from being your eternal brother and sister. <laughs> everybody. Every single person, that beggar in the street that maybe you walk past, he's just one prayer away from spending eternity with you. It's incredible, isn't it? And so we've got to respect one another. We've got to, we've got to understand this. And, and, and one more little thing I want to say on this really quickly is when we go to vote. You say, again, it's another gray area because the Bible doesn't tell you which way to vote. But I've saw Christians... Uh, and, 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 and they look so good and, and everything seems so prim and proper and then I've seen them misbehave when it comes to the ballot box and I've seen them say the most disgusting things about other people when it enters the realm of politics they say horrendous things it's gossip and it's filthy and it's dirty I also hear Christians ridiculing Muslims and Hindus and Jehovah's Witnesses and so forth we must respect all people there's diversity in this world. Now, we don't need to agree with them, but we need to respect them. All right? Respect all. Now, that's all I say about that. Number seven, responsibility. All right? We shouldn't live with a spirit of entitlement. All right? Let's not just go thinking, what am I going to get out of this? Let's, what about asking the question, what can I give? What can I contribute to this? What can I give to this? Which is a powerful thing. And then we go to number eight, the ability to have fun. Healthy families play together. Good, you know, our church fun days, and we're talking now. There was a conversation around the table the other day about summertime and what we do, how to re, um, revive that a little bit, and maybe do something different rather than just go to Port Royce or Port Stewart and everybody go into their own wee coffee shops, and, and it doesn't really pull us together, and we have some ideas. Keep you hanging on that one. Um, and uh, there's something about this, because high-functioning families tell great stories when they come together. My best stories and my best memories are all in this section, all right? Do you ever use the phrase in your family, do you remember that time when... Do you remember when... Do you, do you remember when you said... Do you remember when they... It's amazing, isn't it? How, how these are, are great things. So the ability to have fun is a powerful thing. And, and, and families that play together stay together. And families that pray together stay together. All right? Number nine, rituals and traditions. Um... Uh, there's something about rituals and traditions. Sometimes we tend to throw rituals and traditions out, the baby out with the bathwater, don't you? But there's something about rituals and traditions that are so powerful. You see, my kids know what's going to happen at Christmas. They know better than me. Right? They've it all planned. They've it planned from last year. They know what's going to happen on Easter Monday. They know that this weird family are going to boil a dozen eggs. We're going to paint funny faces on them. And we're going to find a hill somewhere. And we're going to roll them crazy things. And we're going to cheat our brains out. Uh, because each year we give a little trophy. Actually, last year with the band, the trophy, there was that much cheating. But, but so... Family traditions are really, really powerful. And, and they may be a little corny, and they may be a bit weird, 
But you do them anyway because it develops a sense of security. And there's something really good about that. And it's good to have family rituals and family traditions. And the last one um, is not afraid to ask for help. You know, nobody can hang a front a door, hang a sign on their front door and say, everything's perfect here. We can't hang it on a manual. You can't hang it in your home. Every family has issues. Every person has issues. And high-functioning families and churches realize how fragile we really are and realize that we need help. This boy needs help. This boy that's been on the planet now almost 60 years, about three weeks off it. Uh, All right, this boy needs help on a constant basis. And we get it from church. We get it from life group. We get it from a friend. We get it from a Christian counselor. We get it when we go to links. We're not a closed system, you see. We get help. We seek help. Healthy people seek help. And of all of the traits in that list, of all of the traits, there's one right now that you could start with any training, without any further training, you could start with number one right away. You could start with a rational, intentional love right away. Put that into your, into your being and say, because you know why? This is what the Bible says. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. That you have good worship? No, no. That the preacher's not bad? No. No, that the seats are lovely and wide and comfortable and the building's warm? No, 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 no. The world will know when we love one another. And so what I'd love us to do, I'd love the band to come. We're going to finish up, but I'd love the band to come, and I'd love us to practice something right now. And uh, I have just a few things on the, on, the, on the screen that I want us to consider as we, as we close this out today. Um, it's interesting to ask yourself a few questions. What has robbed your joy? What has robbed your family? What's robbing you from church life at the minute. If it's me, come and tell me, will you please? I'd rather you do that. Or if it's one of, if, if there's issues, deal with them, please. Let's, let's, we, we often say that there's always a problem happens when loyalty overrides honesty. All right, let me explain that. All right, if, if you just become more loyal to me and say, well, Phil's my pastor and I wouldn't offend him, so I'll just be mad at him and I'll be loyal to him, but you're not actually being honest. And when loyalty overrides honesty, you've got a problem. Now, the Bible says, speak the truth in love. Don't be coming and shooting me afterwards, please, all right? Be gracious with me, because I'm just a human being. I go home and cry my lamps out. But, but, um, but, but be honest. Be honest. Some of the times around the table, Dave will know this. Dave's sort of the same personality as me. We, we don't deal with this well because we're sort of passive-aggressive. You know, when we sort of do get hurt, and we say, oh, it's all right, it's okay. <laughs> but um, that's who we are, and we get over it because we're big and ugly enough to get over it. But, but here's, here's what we think, right? Do you have any resolved relationships which need to be reconciled? Might be a good idea right now to take your phone I don't mind you doing this right now, even if you wanted to do, and text a friend. Maybe somebody that there's a little bit of tension, that something's just not right. Might even be a family member, might be a brother or a sister, it might be a mom or a dad, it might be a child, I don't know. Might even be a spouse, maybe a little row in the home before you came out. That happens, doesn't it? All of our homes is just mine. 
Um, it was just mine, okay. Who's, who, who's shepherding your life journey? Who's shepherding your life journey? Who, who, whose feet are you sitting at to allow them to speak into your life? That's really important. And who are your comrades and friends? Who are the ones that you can tell anything to and know it'll stay there? I have one in this room that I know of, and he's related to me, and he's sitting at the back, and he'd be cross now. But um, he's my big brother, and, uh, and he's, he's my lightning ally. <laughs> you see, Florida is called the lightning capital of the world. And so what they did was, um, lightning would hit a building, it would just decimate and destroy the building. And so what they did was they, they put lightning poles on top of the buildings, and they earthed the lightning poles down into the ground. So the lightning would strike the, the aerial or the rod, and it would earth down through the building into the ground and just disappear. And the building would be safe. And everybody needs one of those. Everybody needs one of those. Every need, everybody needs somebody in their life that they can go and if, if something slips out of this that shouldn't have slipped out, they're not going to cast it up and say, you said that, you said that bad word. Or you, you know, you know what I'm saying, don't you? But all of us need someone like that. All of us need a comrade or a friend. And men are, women are better than this than men are. Women are, are good. Men are awful at this. Men they reckon statistics show that men probably get two to three people in a lifetime that they can do this with. Scary. And some of you in this room have none. And you need to fix that tonight. And uh, who are you investing in? Who are you going to disciple this year? Dave's our discipleship champion. He passionately talks about this every time we meet. He loves discipleship. He talks about it. He, he talks about it and he talks about it and he talks about it <laughs> we love it we really do he's passionate about it life groups who are you going to invest into not who's going to give me all the stuff but who if you would love to invest into somebody you come and talk to Dave because he'll point you in the right direction and what are the life fun killers in your life at present if you're wondering about this one here's what it asked you what has occupied your mind most in the last 30 days? Because that will say a lot about you. What you've thought about most. Because if, if there's sin in your life, it, it'll, it'll eat you. You know that. Every day, it's your waking thought. You just need to deal with it. You need a, it's a fun killer, if it's a life killer. You just need to deal with it. You need to sort that thing out. And so what I'd love us to do, just a couple of minutes, we're going to worship, and then we're closed. Um, but I'd love us to, to just think about those things. Can you do that? Just think about that in the, the stillness. Give it a couple of minutes, and then we're going to, we're going to worship, and uh, we're going to finish off. Grant will pray for us, all right? Let's just take a, a, a minute or two silence. Think about these. Take a little pick. Might want to take your phone out, send a tax right now. But think about these things. Big, big questions.
God, just want to thank you for the power of a family. Thank you for our natural families. Thank you for our church families. You're not even part of this church family. And if you're not part of this church family, or if you're not part of any church family, find one, will you? It's really important, really important. If not this one, find one. Find a good one. Find one that's loyal to teach the Word, honors God, loves people, reaches the lost, and, and commit. Get in. Allow them to love you, and you love it. And remember, it won't be perfect. But the thing about healthy families is we don't kick them out just because they make a mistake. We embrace and we love and we work through the challenges. And So God, I pray that you'd bless this word tonight as we worship in Jesus' name. We're going to stand, worship. Um, might be even, I'm just thinking actually, it might even be somebody in the room. And, and maybe during worship, you might need to step out of a row and go give somebody a hug or 25 people give me a hug. Now I'm going to be really devastated. Um, everybody queues up and thinks, Phil, you offended. But anyway, I'll deal with it. It'll take me a week, but I'll deal with it. But um, it might be somebody. might be somebody in the room. And it uh, might be time to, to deal with that. But these are big questions. So let's worship. Grantle finishes in prayer. Let's stand. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.